Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. And the challenge with this is not a lot of firms doing it. And I'll tell you another thing, and even this applies to the consultants, to the profession, this scares the hell out of people. And here's the thing. That's how I know it's a brilliant idea. Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. My guest today is Ron Baker. Ron is the founder of Verisage Institute, the leading think tank dedicated to educating professionals internationally. He's the author of seven best-selling books, including Professional's Guide to Value Pricing. And he's the host of the show, The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, which you can find both as a podcast and on voiceamerica.com. As a leading thinker in value pricing, I wanted you to hear from Ron on his latest thinking around your business model when it comes to pricing. Here is Ron Baker. Ron Baker, welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thanks, Geraldine. I'm thrilled to be here. Excited to have you and looking forward to our conversation. So we're going to talk today about pricing, subscription and value-based pricing, namely, and dig into a few ways that this is playing out in CPAs businesses and how they can learn from this conversation and start to maybe knock down some of the hurdles that are in their way when it comes to implementing and shifting to value-based pricing if they haven't already and how subscription-based pricing um, might benefit their businesses as well. So for starters, can you give us a high level of the difference in your mind between value-based pricing and subscription-based pricing? Oh, wow. Well, if we, if we dial it back even before that, you know, the professions started hourly billing in 1919. So we just crossed over the 100th year anniversary of this decrepit business <laughs> model. It started in the legal profession first, by the way. It did not start with accountants. Accountants didn't start pricing hourly until about the 60s or even 70s. Um, but it was around in the legal profession and other places uh, as early as 1919. And then in the 70s, 80s, when I was when I entered the profession, there was a lot of fixed pricing going on already, you know, for especially for audits, compliance type work on the audit side were mostly fixed priced. But then in the 90s, what I call value pricing 1.0 took off and, you know, hourly billing prices the inputs, right? And fixed fees price 
say the outputs, you know, you define scope of work and here's the price for this defined scope of work. Value pricing 1.0, at least as I teach it and taught it and wrote books about it, is pricing the customer because value is subjective. No two customers value the anything the same. And therefore you have to price the customer. You have to learn about the customer. And, and that's what firms that are engaged in value pricing are doing now. And value pricing 2.0, though, Geraldine, blows up value pricing 1.0. And this freaks people out. It freaks me out. It, uh, it, I'm not going to say it obsoletes all the work I've done to date on value pricing 1.0, but it makes a lot of it obsolete because value pricing 2.0 does not price the customer. It prices the relationship and the portfolio. Those two things are essential and those two things are critical and those thing, two things are very different than pricing the customer. And just for our own clarity, when you say value pricing 2.0, is that also, is, in your mind, is that subscription-based pricing? It is. And it's not just pricing. It's a business model change. Value pricing 1.0 is a business model change. That's why so many firms struggle with it. And that's why many firms haven't done it is because it's a business model change. It's not just about tweaking how you invoice your, your customers. It is a business model change. It touches everything. It touches how you communicate. It touches your marketing. It touches everything all the way down to the admin level of what your engagement letters look like. Value pricing 2.0, the, which is a subscription, is a completely different animal still because the relationship is at the center of the firm. And you're also taking a portfolio approach in terms of how you're pricing. So there's an actuarial risk component to this. And we can dive deep on that if you want, but, but th that's the essential difference. Value pricing 1.0 is pricing the customer. Value pricing 2.0 is pricing the relationship and the portfolio. Okay, so for people who tend to be, or at least tell me that they're risk averse, Talking about this level of change, would you say that like how big is the level of change and flipping upside down, if you will, of the business model from hourly based to value based and value based to subscription based? Like, is this next leap a little bit smaller leap or is it just as much of a giant leap? No, I'd say it's it's just as much as a giant leap, even if you start. It's probably easier to go from hourly billing to subscription. Uh, and just leap over value pricing 1.0 completely. That's completely doable, by the way, especially if you've, you're an upstart and you don't have any legacy systems or anything like that. Um, but both of these things are hard. If they weren't hard, I'd be out of a job. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, this is yeah. hard. This is, you know, and uh, accountants say they're risk adverse, but if if you have your own firm, you can't be risk adverse. And here's why. Where do profits come from? Yeah, they come from risk. The profits come from risk, period. I mean, that's the only place they could. So really, when accountants say they're risk adverse, they're really loss adverse. Hmm. And that's what's so comforting, like a security blankie uh, of the billable hour, it throws a nice, comfortable floor below what we can make. We'll never dip below that floor. However, the trade-off we're making for that floor is with the billable hour, it puts a ceiling over our head. It caps our income. Mm -hmm. And that's the trade-off you're making. Well, let's unpack subscription-based a little bit because one of the things that's running through my mind here is, for example, when I read Alan Weiss, he lays out the question is not yes or no for your clients of if they want to work with you, it's how they want to work with you and how do you lay out three to five different ways at different price points that they can engage with you so that they're making a question of 
how do I want to engage with you in a way that fits within my financials? Is there an element of value base that still fits underneath subscription because you're still assessing a value on the client, on the relationship? So I kind of have them mixed up in my mind. Help me straighten them out. No, that's a, that's, and look, I'm a complete believer in options. So I agree with Weiss's statement that, you know, you want your customers to be thinking, how am I going to work with them? Not, you know, should I work with them? And options do that. It's more of a pricing strategy. So there's still three options with, with, uh, with subscription. If you think about, you know, Netflix or Hulu, you know, they offer different options, right? There's different ways to carve out, tease out the value proposition, so there's and value pricing principles are still important. However, what the subscription model does is it brings in this actuarial component of looking across your entire portfolio. When I when I talk about the subscription model, there's a couple things. One, I think it's better to be a fire insurance salesman than a fireman. And whether you're in hourly billing or value pricing, even one o, you're you're more transactional right? It's, it's more break fix. I've got this problem. I come to you. Yeah. You give me a price. You give me a customized price. You even give me customized options, but it's still transactional. I'd much rather be a fire insurance salesman, prevent the crisis for, you know, like a concierge doctor, keep you healthy rather than just treating you when you're sick. So the model I'm looking at Geraldine is concierge medicine. This is a phenomenal model because there's so many parallels between medicine and what accountants do. You know, doctors are there to guard our physical health. Accountants are there to guard our financial health. Uh, we, I'll talk more about concierge, but just real quick, I, I would just say this. If, you know, Teen Zoe, who's the CEO of Zora, which is a, a software company that that runs the back office for subscription-based businesses. It's one of these unicorns out of San Francisco. It's just an amazing company. Uh, we interviewed him on The Soul of Enterprise, and he wrote a great book called Subscribed, which I recommend to everybody. And he says, in five years, you won't buy anything, but you'll subscribe to everything. Now, I'm not going to go that far. I think that's a bit of hyperbole. But I will say this, in five years, you'll have the option to subscribe to everything and every business is going to have to accommodate that fact. There's a couple of things here. Let's. I want to come back to subscribing and kind of getting into what that looks like. Let's back up to the relationship piece and the portfolio piece. You said we're talking now about pricing the relationship and the portfolio. So for those of us who have like a little bit of a shiver down our spine about, ooh, like you want to price, put a price on a relationship that feels really kind of gross, unpack the relationship piece for us and then we'll go to the portfolio piece. Right. And that's a great question because it, it, I don't like it either. I'm trying to look for a better way to describe it, but I want to be stark because sometimes you need to jar somebody if you're going to change them. Uh, let me give you the best example of what I mean by pricing the relationship. And then I think you'll have a clearer understanding that this is actually really quite beautiful and very human. Today in five cities, you can subscribe to Porsche. It's a Porsche Passport program. There's two tiers, $2,000, $3,000 a month. For depending on the tier you select, you're, you have many, you have like, I don't know, five, I think it is, of, uh, available models that you can trade off unlimited as much as you want. So literally, I could say, hey, I've got guests coming in. They want to go wine tasting. I need an SUV. Porsche would white glove out an SUV. They would take the other Porsche away. And then if I change my mind tomorrow, they would bring back my convertible. Everything's included. Everything except gas and tolls. 
They pay for insurance. They pay for tax registration. There is no mileage restriction, nothing. It's all in, two grand or three grand a month. You can cancel at any time. I think you have to give them two weeks notice. Here's the thing. People ask me, well, how's this different from a lease? First off, it's not tied to a car. Second off, you can't buy the car at the end of the lease. You're subscribing to the car. And third, you're not subscribing to a car. You're subscribing to Porsche, the company. That's a direct relationship. That's why they call it the Porsche Passport, because their customers are called citizens. You're a citizen of Porsche. Let me just read you one random review off the Porsche Passport website. The name perfectly describes how it feels to be a member, a citizen of Porsche enthusiasts given the opportunity to drive many miles in many models. The Porsche Passport service really sets this apart from any other brand I've ever been loyal to. So rather than selling services, wouldn't you want your customers to subscribe to your firm? And here's the time bomb with this or the nuclear bomb. 80% of the people that have signed up for this program are new to the brand of Porsche. Oh, interesting. And when you think about, here's a statistic for you from McKinsey and from Zora that does a lot of work on, on uh, the subscription model because they have so many customers. Uh, and so they, 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 you know, they suck up all this data. If you have a subscriber for one year, there's a 90% chance you'll keep them for life. Now, when you look how much Porsche, BMW, Mercedes spends on getting you to rebuy another Porsche, Mercedes, BMW, I mean, all their marketing is spent on retention. It's not to attract really new customers. It's to convince you what a great thing you did by buying a Mercedes and buy another one when you're ready. And they don't have to do that with this. That subscriber's got a direct relationship with the company, not the dealer, not the car, the company. And they're going to be more loyal. And this, and that's a relationship. That's a direct relationship with the customer that you don't get in hourly billing. And you don't might not even get it in value pricing 1.0. Okay. So I really like this Porsche example. And I would love it if Toyota would do the same because there are days when I go driving in the mountains that my Prius without, you know, my Prius, has, my Prius has four inches of clearance and it would really be great to get a pickup for a day. It will. All car companies are starting these, by the way. Hyundai's got one, Volvo, Cadillac, all of them. Uh, it's estimated by 2023 or 2024, 50% of cars will be subscribed to. Cool. I'm going to keep an eye out for it. The challenge I see here, though, for the small business owner and the CPA is that I can I can appreciate pricing the relationship when it comes to a brand and a car, but that's still not a person to person. So talk to me about person to person relationship where you have a CPA who works at a high touch level with a small to medium sized business owner. <laughs> I totally get that. I used to practice. I, I know all about that. It is definitely a relationship business. And so my model for this is, is the Porsche Passport is just one aspect, but the other really critical thing is the concierge medical practice. So concierge medical practice uh, will tell its patients for X amount, usually done monthly. And look, the prices vary widely. I mean, I've seen as low as 250 bucks a month. 
I've seen as high as $4,000 a month. So there's, there's a wide array of who they're targeting and mark, you know, marketing to and all of that. But basically they say to you, Geraldine, we'll cover you, your family and your kids. Uh, and we'll take care of all your medical needs. Anything that we're capable of doing under this roof, you're covered. So if you, you know, stab a knife in your hand cooking or something, you need stitches, you know, you're guaranteed uh, same day appointments. You can text, email, phone call your doctor, FaceTime your doctor. Um, They're totally accessible and they're accessible because they have fewer patients. The average GP in the United States has 2,400 panel of patients. That's why you get to spend 18 minutes with them, uh, you know, because they're seeing 30, 35 people a day. A concierge doctor might have somewhere between 150 and 500. So they have much more capacity. Now, that means they're going to be more expensive. But when you need them, they're there. I mean, the last thing you want, and dentists are doing this too, by the way, the last thing you want to hear from your dentist when you have a toothache at, you know, two in the morning is, I can see you in three weeks. I mean, we want our professionals to have capacity. So, and here's the thing about these concierge doctors that's so innovative and so exciting is what they can do under their roof is continuously expanding, just like Amazon Prime and uh, is continuously adding benefits for us, right? Audible books, magazine subscriptions, video, all of that kind of stuff. Well, these doctors are adding MRIs, diagnostic, uh, you know, DNA testing, uh, diet, supplementaries, uh, the f- pharmacies. A lot of them dispense drugs because they have pharma- pharmacological licenses. Um, this is really interesting because what they're saying is, Whatever comes up, you're covered. It's they're not they're not just selling services. They're they're putting the relationship first, but they're selling peace of mind, and that's what I mean by the portfolio and being a fire insurance salesman rather than being a fireman. And here's the thing on concierge doctors: they have to reeducate their patients because most of us were trained to only go to the doctor when we're sick. The concierge doctor wants to see you when you're healthy. They want to spend more time with you. Average concierge doctor appointment is over an hour. That's because they're available. They want to learn all about you. And now if you have cancer or some other diagnosis and they have to refer you out, that's obviously not covered. It's what they can do under their own roof. But they will walk you over to the oncologist and sit down with you and they'll kind of quarterback your treatment. So they're, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a family physician almost. I mean, they really want to get to know their patients. And there's a couple different models here. There's concierge doctors, which kind of go for the middle class, upper middle class, certainly the CEO crowd and all of that. Um, But there's also direct primary care. They tend to to go uh, below the middle class. uh, And they're, they're usually around the cost of a phone bill every month, you know, a cellular plan. So it could be a hundred bucks a month or something like that, but it's the same type of thing. They, they usually have a few hundred more patients. So here's the thing. I'll just cut to the chase for CPAs going to the subscription plan. You're probably going to have to three times, four times, or five times your average price or your median price. You're going to have to uh, cut out 80% of your customers, but boy, for the 20 that remain, you're going you're gonna to be able to do a lot of stuff for them. This is much easier if you're niched. Um, so I'm a big believer in focusing and niching. But 
it, it's going to have an impact on your price. You've, you've got to be more expensive, at least in the CPA world. And that's why I think there's so many parallels between the concierge doctor and the CPA. It's a much more viable business model, especially when it comes to time, right? And we see the brokenness of the standard or the traditional CPA business model where they're working 80 hours a week for four months of the year. It's clearly not, I mean, in their minds, it's just the way that it's been done. Um, but from the outside looking in, it makes you wonder, is this the best way to do it? I see a lot of my clients moving to this monthly I don't think in their minds they would use the word subscription. So I want to touch on that. But first I want to go to three or four times the price. And I can hear a lot of CPAs right now banging their fists on the desk going, wait, what? You want me to charge three to four times my current price? I can't even get people to pay me $4.95 for a tax return without them squawking. So, I mean, I have my own answer to this, but I think it probably helps people to hear it from different angles and different words. So what would you say to that CPA who is like, there's no way I can get my clients to pay four times what they're currently paying me? You know, the market will pay you what you think you're worth. And if you only think you're worth an hourly rate of a couple hundred bucks, then that's all the market will ever pay you. But if you can devise a marketing plan, it's one of the things that makes the subscription model different is your value proposition is more embedded into your brand and into your marketing. Uh, and if you can actually use the language of transformations with your customer, because really as a concierge doctor or as a concierge CPA, what you're doing, and this is even true in value pricing 1.0, if you do it right, is you're not selling services, you're selling transformations, right? You're moving the customer from where they are to where they want to be, a desired future state. And if you think about it, CPAs provide all sorts of transformations. We help our business, we help our uh, customers' businesses grow. We help them get a higher price when they sell. We help their kids get into college. We help people, you know, buy their dream home, their second home, their vacation home, whatever. We help our customers plan their legacy. Tell me how important Bill Gates, Warren Buffett's legacy is to them. Right. And, and do they look at their accountants and uh, state accountants and tax accountants and lawyers as as commodities? No way. They're planning their legacy. You're touching somebody's soul. That's the great thing about a transformation. It's personalized. It's effectual. It's individualized. And in a transformation, the customer is the product. So in the subscription based model, even in the value pricing 1.0 model, find out what that customer's preferred future is and move them to it. Now, I would say over the large swath of customers in a medical practice or in the CPA practice, in the medical practice, people want to stay healthy. <laughs> well, what do they want in a CPA from a CPA? They want to stay financially healthy. They want to achieve their dreams. We talk about how we're problem solvers as CPAs, and I appreciate that. We are. We can get the IRS off your back. We can, we can file back taxes, clean up accounting messes. Yes, that's all great. We're great problem solvers. But if all you're doing for your customers is solving problems, you're just reverting them back to the status quo. You're not moving them forward. What we really need to be interested in is providing and shepherding, uh, being their Sherpa for a transformation, moving them to some desired future state that they want to achieve. That's 
where the big dollars are. That's where the big opportunities are. And that's where the value is. Now you can do that and still do tax returns and still have a busy season and all of that. But we got to spend more time working on opportunities, not just solving problems. Spend more time working on opportunities. And the opportunities are forward facing. They're not going to be looking in the rear view mirror, preening past numbers and transactions. No, this is why the accounting profession has been slaughtered for con- by consultants for decades, uh, because accountants are historians with bad memories. Um, you know, we go in after the war and bayonet the wounded. We're not helping our customers look forward enough. And in a concierge model, because you would have more time, because you would have fewer customers, so you'd have more capacity, you could actually spend more time and therefore provide more value and easily get three or four times more than what you're pricing now. Yeah. I like what you said in there, and I want to underline it easily, easily get three to four times more. The reason these some of these firms struggle with getting paid for a tax return, whatever it is, bookkeeping, whatever, is because they're not focused on the value. They're focused on the compliance. They're focused on the history. The customers don't care about history. Nobody runs their business based on their financial statements. I mean, it's like timing your cookies with a smoke alarm. It, it's by the time you see it on the financial, it's history. Help me, help me prepare for the future. Help me with cash flow. Help me with budgeting. Help me with strategy. Help me with marketing. Help me with all sorts of things that CPAs have a wide array of skills in. I just, you know, we talked about niches before we went live and I'm a big believer in really narrowing, you know, putting yourself in a box and by far the most profitable firms in the world. And this cuts across all professions, not just CPAs, but certainly CPAs as well. By far, it's not even close, not even a contest are all niched. The most profitable firm in the world that I've ever encountered, and I've seen thousands of firms, is my old um, senior from the big eight days. And he does nothing but dentists mm-hmm. and he can handle a dentist from womb to tomb. Literally. He has seen it all. He's seen divorce. He's seen succession, angry partner divorces, you know, uh, in the business. He helps dental students buy into a practice, start a practice, you know, all of these, anything that could happen in the dental world, this guy has seen it and he's seen it a million times. He can devise a plan, a strategy, to tell that dentist's life story, leave a legacy. He can take him through anything. And if I told you what he made, Geraldine, you'd be amazed. So I'm not going to, but (laughs) suffice it to say, it's a lot of zeros. Well, of course it is. And it should be because he's providing enormous value for his clients who are looking for much more than historical information about what money has been spent and what money has come in the door. They want answers to questions that they don't even know to ask. That's exactly right. Hey, I'm jumping in here to interrupt this fabulous conversation with Ron Baker to let you know that if you are interested in implementing some of the stuff, the business model changes, the value pricing, the subscription models, figuring out who your best clients are so you can start offering it to them. If you want some help and support doing those things, I'm starting a group program on April 21st to help you get out of your own way and implement these changes. Head on over to my website, SheThinksBigCoaching.com and click on the work with me tab to find out more. All right, now back to the show. I want to go back to the portfolio piece because I promised my listeners I would, and then hopefully we'll be able to circle back to a couple other pieces. Um, So when you say portfolio, talk to me about what 
in your mind is included in portfolio and what's not? Because when you offer a wide array of services, like a concierge doctor, you know, maybe you do DNA testing, maybe you have an MRI machine, other diagnostic lab, pharmacy, you know, and all sorts of things can happen in a medical practice. In fact, when I gave this talk at Intuit, somebody challenged me afterwards and said, but don't you think that running an accounting firm is more complex than a medical practice? And I just looked at him and said, are you kidding me? Hmm. <laughs> you, yeah. is, that's a laughable, that's not even a serious question. Because I, I told him, look, you go check out the malpractice rates for a doctor and go check out your malpractice rates and tell me which one's the actuaries <laughs> who price risk yeah. for a living, which ones they think is more risky. And usually more risk means more complication. And so what, you're, what you realize when you have a portfolio of, say, 500 patients in, in the case of a concierge doctor is they're going to use you at different rates. They're going to utilize your resources at different rates. Uh, if you have a chronic illness, obviously diabetes or something that they're taking care of you for, you're, you're going you're gonna to be one of the patients that, that uses your doctor more. So usually it works out to something like 5 to 10% of their patients suck up about 50 to 60% of their resources. So you can't worry about that. You, you just, that's part of the portfolio because you got other people that are paying for years and may only show up once a year for their physical. Now, that's the portfolio approach. You're looking at profitability across a portfolio. Stop trying to determine profitability by the hour. Stop trying to determine it by the job and stop trying to determine it by the customer. It doesn't work that way. A firm is a system. It cannot be broken apart. It's like the human body. If I cut off my hand at the wrist and put it down, it's not going to be able to write. It needs the rest of the system to be able to do that. And as long as you have minimum prices and you, take, and, and you have good customer selection, which is not even a pricing issue, that's a strategy, marketing, positioning issue and all of that. But if you have good intake processes and you only bring on the right customers, then of course, they're going to be profitable. Now they're in the portfolio and some and people are going to move around that portfolio. They're going to have issues and, and then you're going to get them healthy and then they're going to use less of you, right? And that's what's happening with these concierge doctors. Their patients are hospitalized less, they're sick less, and they take less pills. So much so that the pharmaceutical companies have started to notice this and they don't like it, by the way. Of course not. Because these guys are keeping their patients healthier. And the parallels between that and what a CPA can do for a client to keep them financially healthy are the exact same. And so one client might need more of your business advisory services, might need handholding through a difficult time. Others, you know, you're going to be kind of just coasting along, maybe having regular meetings. And there's, you know, you're going to have to balance this out. You have to price the portfolio. But that's what I mean by that. Okay, so... Just to make sure, like I totally, I'm on board with the theoretical at a high level, but just to land this plane, one of the places that my clients struggle with is trying to figure out what is included in various packages at what price points. And I hear it about, that's not how you calculate profitability. So of course, the next question is, well, then how you do you calculate profitability? Let me just answer that. How do you calculate profitability? Revenue minus costs. Okay, super high level. A, a, across the whole business. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Great. <laughs> super simple. I love simplicity. Like, let's make it easy, right? Okay, so back to the sort of portfolio, an accountant's going to think like, all right, weekly book, bookkeeping, bill pay at bill.com, monthly financial statements, quarterly financial reviews, monthly cash flow projects, payroll, invoice and collections, monthly, blah, blah, blah. And then they're also going to have sort of one-off things like, 
um, when they onboard their clients, they're going to have, you know, most CPAs, many will say when they onboard a new client, the first thing that they do is look inside the QuickBooks file and they figure out how big of a mess they have to clean up. So that seems more project-based. So they're going to have stuff like, you know, uh, clean up the whole thing and then figuring out stuff on a monthly basis, like net margin improvement, growth planning, and so on. So how do you, like, what are we talking about here on a ground level for your typical sort of main street CPA who wants to go to this subscription-based model? We need some specifics for where do they even start? Like, do they start with three packages at three levels? One of them is meeting you know, twice a year, another one is meeting quarterly, another one is meeting monthly or maybe even bi-weekly and various levels of um, cash flow forecasting and budgeting. Like what are we talking about here when it comes to portfolio? Can you, what can, what specifics can you give us? Right. And, and, and this is obviously going to be very, very different for every single firm. There's no one size fits all model. The best I can give you is a framework, but I think one of the hardest things about moving from even VP10 to VP20 is you have to stop worrying about projects and scope. Scope no longer matters. Change, there are no change orders in a concierge practice. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. My boss cut his hand on a weekend on a Sunday and he's got a concierge doctor and it needed stitches. It was obvious, it was bleeding really bad. And it was a Sunday and he was camping with his son. And he said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, he just signed up with the doctor like a month or two prior to this. He said, I'm not going to go call my doctor and bother him on a Sunday. So he went to the ER. When his doctor found out, he flipped a lid and he said, that's it. He says, you call me for anything. Yeah, but doc, you were home. You couldn't have done anything. He said, I have a whole lab here. I could have stitched you up. He said, you call me for anything. Now that's obviously quote unquote out of scope but that's how you invest in a relationship. That's how you build a relate. You don't build a relationship by doing transactions and you certainly don't build relationships by staring at clocks and logging hours. You build relationships by taking care of people when they need you and giving them that peace of mind. And so if, it, if you were a typical CPA that maybe did bookkeeping and maybe did tax, maybe you did some compliance and maybe you did advisory, let me just, because that seems to be the, you know, fairly typical firm, not all firms do advisory, but you could have a tier that said, look, we'll just do your books. And that's going to include cleanup. We're just going to, we're just going to include cleanup. We, you know, you might even just be doing cleanup to get them to sign up on the subscription. So it becomes sort of a loss leader. I don't, want to say it that way because you're not going to lose money on it, but you're going to, you know, what we're going for here in this model is annual recurring revenue. That's what builds a business. If you look at most of the unicorns, they're all on subscription. You know, that's how they, that's how they have these billion dollar, you know, market shares. And even, even Tesla, and uh, um, Elon Musk solar is getting into this. You can subscribe now to his solar roofs. Uh, and, but then you, so you could have a tier for bookkeeping. Maybe your middle tier includes all their tax work too. That includes, by the way, if they're audited, they're covered. There's no change order if they're audited. That's not a, that's a covered service. You get audited, we cover you for as far as we can take you, right? And if any other things come up, they're covered for all tax things that you're capable of doing. Now, if you're not capable of doing it, you don't do it. You refer them to hopefully somebody in your network who, who is a specialist or whatever. And then your third tier might be, we'll do your bookkeeping, your tax, and 
um, you know, if they're, if you do compliance work, if you do audits, reviews, compilations, things like that, that could be in that tier. You could have a fourth tier that included business advisory services that went over and above just cash flow and budgeting that might be included in the third tier, uh, but it would include other type of advisory services, strategy days, marketing help, KPIs, dashboards, help with pricing, right? Or your customers struggle with pricing as well. And you could build four tiers off of that. And if you were niched or you had a really well-defined customer base, you would know within a certain parameter what your scope is. I always tell firms that want to move to this model, tell me what your largest client is. Tell me what your smallest client is in terms of revenue. You could do that over a two, three, four-year period. And then I say, you say that range, and I've seen it. I've seen some really wide ranges on that. Right. You could have a client, you know, down at $1,000 and you could have a client up to 50 or 60,000 for, you know, a relatively smaller firm Well, you're going to have to make a decision. What kind of customer do you want? Do you want more of the 60,000s? Do you want more of the thousands? Do you want more of the ones in the middle? And you're going to have to go after the ones that you want and you're going to have to exclude the others. Yes. Yeah. You're going to have to exclude the others. You can't be all things to all people. Yes. it make, It's an impossible business model to be all things to all people. And that's why accountants go into public accounting though, because they say, well, I don't want to be hamstrung into one business, kind of boring. I like seeing different industries and learning different things. I get it. I'm intellectually mm-hmm. curious. I mm-hmm. love it too, but it sucks as a business model. <laughs> yes, it does. It's, it's, like a, it's like going to a heart surgeon and he says, oh, well, I dabble in this on the weekend. You know, yeah. <laughs> normal job is I'm a GP. No, I get, get me a different surgeon. So I love this. And it's becoming clear to me that both the relationship and the portfolio, how they fit together is essentially some version of, listen, don't worry about the details. We will take care of you. You're covered. And stop worrying about the math of the moment. I mean, it's the lifetime value of the customer that matters. And this subscription model, well, we all pay lip service to wanting to be a partner, trusted advisor. I hate that term. <laughs> we all pay lip service to that. This business model, even more than VP10, forces you to put the relationship first. When, when that doctor chewed out, you know, my, my boss, I cracked up. I thought, this is great <laughs> because he just developed so much trust and he changed that relationship by telling him, look, I'm here for you. I don't care when it is, what it is, you call me. If I can't help you, I'll send you somewhere who can. But if I can't help you, I'm going to be right there. You can't do that if you're on a you know constant billable hour treadmill and you're too busy all the time. Geraldine, we confuse being busy with being profitable. Yes. yes. And th- that's a big problem, you know, uh, and th- this model requires you to have less customers, but you're doing so much more for them and they're going to be so much more grateful and they're going to be willing to pay you a premium price because they're paying for that peace of mind. I, I, I think you mentioned that you heard me on the John Stark, uh, Jonathan Stark's podcast, Ditching Hourly. And the reason I pinged him uh, was because he talked about going to his, his concierge doctor and he looked at his watch. He said, I've been here for three hours. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you spent three hours in the doctor's office with the doctor, maybe in a waiting room, but not with the doctor. And he said, look, he said, I've never used my concierge doctor other than, you know, once a year physical and send him a picture of my kid's rash. <laughs> so if you look at that as a portfolio approach, 
he's he's a great addition to the portfolio. He doesn't use the doctor very much. The doctor would probably still like to see him more, but it, you have to have that expansive attitude that not all your customers are going to suck down your time. Everybody's worried about, oh, they're going to call me on the weekends and, you know, middle of the night. Something like 82% of the concierge doctor's phone calls and texts come during normal business hours. And when they fall outside, you really want to hear from them because it's probably something pretty serious. Yeah, I love this. And and if you have those clients who are genuinely um, I mean, they're good people, but maybe nuisance clients are not the right clients for you. Absolutely. They're the wrong client. And that's not a pricing problem. That's the strategy, a customer selection, intake problem. It has nothing to do with pr- pricing starts with the assumption, and it's a big one, that we have the right customer because there's no way to value price the wrong customer in either of these models. If it's a wrong customer, they're not going to like the subscription any more than they're going to like VP10. So I like this conversation about changing the business model and and with our few minutes left here, last question, we can't help but have this conversation outside of COVID-19, which I think is laying bare a fundamental gap in understanding about who is responsible for helping the client create the future that they really want to be living 10, 20, 30 years from now. And when I talk to CPAs, When I look out right now at the landscape of what's happening with so many businesses having less than one month of cash reserves, I'm going like, who is your accountant? This should not be happening. And when I talk to accountants, they seem to be quite guarded about helping their clients build up cash reserves, three months of operating expenses, being outside of their lane of responsibility. And I don't think accountants are necessarily wrong about that. I think in the same way, you know, I can hold a Rubik's Cube between you and me and I will insist that it is orange and you will insist that it is blue and we'll both be right. Yet it lays bare this disconnect. So what do you think needs to shift right now, given what we're seeing vis-a-vis COVID-19? I don't think there is um, a better situation that illustrates the advantages of the subscription pricing model than a business interruption like COVID-19. Because tell me who's going to weather the storm better, Netflix or, you know, some other business that's more transactional. You know, businesses that have subscriptions, Amazon, you're not going to cancel your Amazon Prime subscription, right? So anything that you subscribe to, you're probably going to keep. Now, these companies are probably going to be able to have the flexibility to say, look, we'll forgive, you know, the next couple months payments. And you could certainly do that if you were a CPA firm and you were on a subscription model and this crisis hits and you say to your small businesses, look, we're going to continue to do your work, but you don't have to pay us for the next two months. Now, (laughs) what's that going to do for loyalty? Are they going to remember that? Is that, you know, that's not, we need to stop focusing on the math of the moment and, and look at the lifetime value of the customer. And I think this is a better business model for, for, especially for interruptions and recessions, economic downturns. I think subscription-based models are better able to weather the storm because you can pull out value, you can change the pricing, you can change even the payment terms. You just have more flexibility with a subscription model. Uh, because it's across the entire portfolio, which is, you know, we all diversify our portfolios because there's less risk there. So, so let me give you a, a tangible example. You know how you're, and you're probably doing this, I'm trying to do this. 
I don't want my favorite Thai food place to go under, my favorite pizza place. You know, these are small business. I love these people. I love their product. And you, you call them up and you say, do you have gift certificates I could buy or something? And they say, or gift cards. And they say, no. Imagine, Geraldine, if they said, no, but you could subscribe to us. I'd subscribe in a heartbeat. As a business model, it is so much more sound and stable. And it enables you to get away from the math and the minutia that doesn't provide any value. A- absolutely. Let me just drop a couple bombs on you. McKinsey says, subscription e-commerce market has grown by more than 100% a year for the past five years. Subscription-based companies are growing eight times faster than the S&P 500 and five times faster than U.S. retail sales. I mean, the Amazon Prime thing was never about shipping. It was so you would spend more money with them. The average Prime customer at Amazon spends eight times more than the non-Prime customer. The Porsche Passport program. I mean, all of these different models, and you can subscribe to anything these days. I just we keep we keep a, a barbershop chain in in Arizona now offers subscription uh, toilet paper, doggy treats. I mean. You can subscribe to anything and it just generates a direct relationship with the customer. Think about Harry's Razor. Think about uh, what was the other one? Dollar Shave Club, which was bought by Unilever for a billion (laughs) dollars. You're you're not going to do that if you're not on a subscription model. That business is not going to be worth a billion dollars because the subscription model focuses and it's even built into the financial reporting on that annual recurring revenue. Hmm. So you're managing the relationship. You're managing your churn rate but it's all forward looking. It's not backwards looking, like even to some extent value pricing 1.0 and certainly the billable hour are. So there has been so much good stuff in here. For the CPA who is on board and they're ready and they're chomping at the bit and they're going, okay, what's next? What's the first thing they need to do to get started? Read subscribed, the book subscribed or listen to my radio shows. Read the book, subscribe and listen to your radio shows. And we will put links in the show notes to all four of the episodes that you've done on subscription-based pricing. Excellent. Ron Baker, this has been so great. Thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thanks, Geraldine. It's great to be here. Thank you, Ron, for coming on the podcast. Wow, so many great takeaways. Here are my top three. Number one, and take a deep breath, three to five times your current price and cut 80% of your clients. Yes. And I realize that you have relationships with your clients that you will want to handle well. This is not easy work, but this is a much more sane model for your business. Number two, you cannot be all things to all people. I know you want to help. You will be more helpful when you are better help to fewer clients. And number three, this scares the hell out of people. Yes, these are big changes to your business model. Of course, it's intimidating. If you want someone to guide and support you through these changes, I am here to help you do that. Remember that you can join my strategic action group coaching program, which starts April 21st and is a veritable steal at 300 bucks a month for four months. Head on over to shethinksbigcoaching.com and click on the work with me tab to find out more. If you want to learn more about Ron Baker, you can find him at verisage.com. 
and do check out his podcast, The Soul of Enterprise. That's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.